Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hi, I'm Holly Fry. This week I am sitting in for Tracy V. Wilson. Today is December 24th, and it is the day that Silent Night was performed for the first time in 1818. Stille Nacht, known in English-speaking places as Silent Night, has of course become a standard at Christmas celebrations. This song was originally written not as a song, but as a poem by an assistant priest named Joseph Moore in 1816. Moore, who was born in Salzburg, was ordained in 1815, and he moved to Mariupfar in Lungau in the Austrian Alps the following year. The words of Stille Nacht were written by Moore at a time when the occupation of the area by Bavarian troops was ending, which may have contributed to the song's themes of salvation and peace. In 1818, Moore moved to Obendorf by Salzburg, 130 kilometers northwest of where he had been staying on the Austrian border, and he served at the Church of St. Nicholas there. And the Church of St. Nicholas had an organist named Franz Gruber, who worked primarily as a teacher, but he had other side jobs in addition to playing music at St. Nicholas, including as a church caretaker and also as an organist for another church. Moore still had this poem that he had written while he was living in the Austrian Alps, and he had an idea that it could be set to music. And he also wanted something that the choir could sing with a couple of solo parts, preferably accompanied by guitar. And so, to accomplish this task, Moore asked Gruber to write music for the poem. He had made this request on Christmas Eve of 1818, and Gruber was very, very fast. He had this whole thing turned around the very same day. And so later, Again, that same day when Gruber showed Moore the simple composition, as he called it, of music that he had come up with to go with the words of Stille Nacht, Moore was really pleased with it. He thought it was lovely, so much so that he decided that it should just be part of the Mass that evening. And beyond the fact that the performance at the Church of St. Nicholas in 1818 was well-received, we really don't know much about it, but that was the first time it was performed at a Christmas Eve Mass. And it continued to be performed after that debut, first in the surrounding area in Austria, and then slowly spreading through a progressively wider geographical footprint. In just a little more than a decade after the poem was first set to song, Stille Nacht was being performed outside of Austria. From there, it traveled with performers not only across Europe, but beyond Europe. It was sung by a family singing group called the Rayner Family Singers in North America on Christmas Day in 1839. But as the song gained popularity, its origin was obscured after a number of years. Eventually, at the end of 1854, Franz Gruber, who had heard that attribution had been lost as this song took flight and spread around the world, actually wrote down the story of its inception in a document which he titled authentic account of the origin of the Christmas carol, Silent Night, Holy Night. At this point, Stille Nacht has been translated into more than 300 languages and dialects. It is on UNESCO's intangible cultural heritage list. More than 100 years after Stille Nacht was first performed, 
Bing Crosby recorded the English-language version, Silent Night, in 1935. That is reportedly the number three all-time best-selling single. And it all started on Christmas Eve, 1818, with a song written and performed by an assistant priest and a church organist in Bavaria. If you want to learn a slightly longer version of this story, you can get that on Stuff You Missed in History Class, which has a new episode out called Christmas Triple Feature, Stille Nacht, St. Nick, and Scrooge. Today's episode was researched by Tracy Wilson, who deserves thanks. It was uh, handled on the audio end by Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays. Tomorrow, you should uh, hang back out with us because we're going to talk a little bit about some astronomical fun. And if you'd like to subscribe to This Day in History class, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get podcasts. Greetings, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that believes no day in history is a slow day. The day was December 24th, 1826. A drunken Christmas party at the United States Military Academy, also known as West Point, turned into a conflict known as the Eggnog Riot. West Point opened in 1802. Up until the War of 1812, the school was pretty lax. Students were admitted throughout the year, and admission standards weren't the highest. Drinking was a big part of the culture. Eggnog was often the drink of choice at holiday celebrations in the U.S., especially from the 18th century on, and that was the case at West Point. But after the War of 1812, Congress was inspired to funnel more money into the academy. In 1817, Colonel Sylvanus Thayer became the superintendent of West Point. Thayer earned the moniker Father of West Point. He was strict about discipline and academics at the school. He banned playing cards, tobacco, and novels, and students could not leave campus, cook in their dorms, or duel. Thayer did not allow cadets to drink, purchase, or store alcohol, except on the 4th of July and on Christmas. That is, until 1825. That July 4th, cadets carried the school's commandant to their barracks. After that, Thayer banned the possession of alcohol. But instead of following Thayer's new rule, some of the cadets snuck in gallons of whiskey, brandy, rum, and wine from nearby taverns for the holiday party. Benny Haven's Tavern, where cadets could barter for alcohol, was too expensive for the amount of liquor they needed. So several nights before Christmas, three cadets crossed the Hudson River to visit Martin's Tavern. After drinking at the tavern, they took liquor back to the academy with them, paying off a guard on the way back. One of the cadets who took part in the revelry was Jefferson Davis, future president of the Confederacy. Thayer knew that the cadets might try to smuggle in alcohol since they had done so before. So he sent two officers, Captain Ethan Allen Hitchcock and Lieutenant William A. Thornton, to keep watch on the North Barracks. The officers went to bed around midnight. At that point, things were pretty quiet. But several hours later, Hitchcock woke up to the sound of a party floors above him. When he went upstairs, he found several drunk cadets and told them to go to their rooms. He left to go back to his own room, but he realized there was another party happening in a nearby bedroom. When he attempted to break that one up too, he got into a spat with a cadet who was trying to hide his identity. Hitchcock left, but the cadets were still upset at the exchange. 
So they turned to violence and called for the cadets to arm themselves and murder Hitchcock. And the riot began. About a third of the cadets, or 90 of them, were involved in the riot. Another party popped up on a lower floor, and as Hitchcock went to break it up, he ran into Jefferson Davis. Davis ended up going back to his room. But Lieutenant Thornton was also up and trying to put an end to the commotion. A cadet threatened him with a sword, and another hit him with a piece of wood. A cadet tried to shoot Hitchcock with his pistol, but missed when another cadet threw off the aim. When Hitchcock called for the commandant of cadets, the cadets mistakenly thought he was summoning the artillerymen, so they got even more rowdy. They broke windows, dishes, and furniture, and generally tore up the barracks. Eventually, the commandant showed up and the conflict came to an end. After the riot, 22 cadets were placed on immediate restriction. 19 cadets and one soldier were court-martialed. In the end, many of the cadets were allowed to stay at West Point, though some left anyway, and some were dismissed. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about the riot, you can listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called Eggnog Riot. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you prefer something a little bit more formal, then you can write us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be back tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.